You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is episode five with Marilyn Gardner. Welcome to Is Told by Nomads. I'm your host, Ty Roxon, and I'm a blogger, digital marketer, and multicultural individual who's lived on four different continents. Listen weekly as I profile people who identify with several cultures and share with you stories, tips, and interviews about how to embrace your global identity and use it to your advantage to live your best life. Let us begin. I'm so excited about today's episode. We, I have the lovely Marilyn Gardner here, and she's just a delight. She talks about some of her experiences in the Middle East and in uh, Massachusetts, as well as Arizona. As you know, she also talks about growing up uh, with that culture and also raising kids in this lifestyle. So I think it's a very interesting listen, and I think you guys are in for a treat. Good day, everyone. I have with me Marilyn Gardner. She's a public health nurse, uh, nurse, and she works with refugees. And she's also the founder of the Communicating Across Borders blog. She's also a student-to-be author, which we'll talk about later on. Um, it's an honor to have you here on the show, Marilyn. How are you? Fine, thanks. It's an honor to be here. Well, I usually start off a lot of the shows with, with having the guests recount their third culture and nomadic experience. So why don't you tell us why, why and where you moved around so much? Sure, sure. So uh, my story actually begins, it begins in a small town in America, which is, it hurts my pride greatly to say that. <laughs> because, you know, I've got this very well-crafted sense of being other. And so uh, to, to say that it begins in my passport country uh, can really be something that hurts my pride. But it is part of my story. So it began in a small town in the United States, but at three months old, my parents took me to Pakistan. They had established their home there. I had three older brothers. And so uh, I was packed up, diapers and dollies, and we moved to Pakistan. So my earliest memories are in a small city in Pakistan, a city called Ratodero. Uh, in fact, the story goes that we were the first family in the city that had a car. So, so uh, that's kind of a little claim to fame. And then basically, well, the funny thing about that as well is that a couple years late, it was like 20 years later or so that my mom, we were driving through the area and there was a traffic jam. And so my mom just kind of shook her head and started laughing and said, it's hard to believe that they, we were the first people with a car in this town. 
But uh, so that's my earliest memories are really on a rooftop. Um, we would sleep on the roof in the heat of the summer and we would be shrouded with mosquito netting just to ward off any mosquitoes that could you know, cause raging bouts of malaria. And the call to prayer would always wake us up. So I didn't assume this was that different than other people's lives until, of course, I found out that it was actually very different than the life of someone who had been born in the same town as I had but lived in that town their whole life or moved around the United States. So that's where it began. And really, unlike many third culture kids, my world went back and forth from Pakistan to the United States, Pakistan to the United States. So at any given time, I was between worlds, but I was between those two worlds as opposed to between five or six or seven worlds. So I recognize that that, you know, that gives a little bit different of a foundation than, uh, than many people's third culture kid experience. Then, but where my, my world started changing then is when I, uh, I, I graduated from high school in Pakistan. I came to the United States. I went into a nursing program. So I became a nurse purely because I knew I wasn't ever going to live in the United States. I knew that I was born to live elsewhere other than my passport country. Right. And so first I went back to uh, Pakistan to work as a nurse. I was deported, came back to the United States, met my husband. We went to Pakistan and then to Cairo, Egypt. So as a, I then at that point, of course, was an adult third culture kid. So those were my kind of my, my three worlds were the United States, Egypt, Pakistan, and, and all around again with airports in between. Let's talk about the deportation first. So you, you were deported and you were able to come back. So we, I had gone on this trip. So I was working as a nurse, but I had gone on this trip to the port city of Karachi. Karachi is on the coast. It's coast of the Indian Ocean. And we would go on vacation there. So I had come back from this mini vacation and I was actually visiting my parents' home. And a man arrived on a bicycle with a handwritten note and it said, um, Marilyn Brown, my maiden name was Brown, Marilyn Brown needs to leave the country in 24 hours. So my mom and I just started to laugh. It was, you know, it was written, it was written in English and, uh, you know, it was obviously written by someone whose first language was, was not English, it was Urdu. And so we just thought, this can't be real. This doesn't look official. And then my father came home and he read it and he said, I think we need to pay attention to this. So sure enough, the next day he went down to the police office and they said, this is absolutely real. Your daughter needs to leave. So then my world fell apart. I, I did not want to go back to the United States. I was in a, a difficult place in my life anyway. I was 23, almost 23 years old. I would turn 23 in January and this was in December. And I thought I cannot go back to my passport country. Hmm. Well, two weeks later, we did beg time. We were able to get two weeks time. But one of the things I recognized was if I didn't leave, I would not have a chance to go back to Pakistan again. It would be on my record and I wouldn't have a chance to go back again. Right. So I, I left and I left Pakistan and arrived back in the United States in the, right after Christmas in, you know, bitter cold winter, uh, and was not very happy to be there. Okay, so basically you've moved around between Pakistan and the United States a lot. Where do you consider home? 
Is it, is it Pakistan? Oh, wow. And, and it's so funny that, you, you know, as a third culture kid, you're asking this hard question. <laughs> and you know, and the thing is, you know how hard it is <laughs> to ask. And I'm glad you asked it because I think it's, it, we have to learn to articulate it. So I read last year in this inn on the ocean that home is where your story begins. And it's just an interesting idea because, you know, for the third culture kid, if it's where our story begins, where what if we can't go back? You know, Pakistan is not an easy place to go to go back to. You have to be invited back. You can't walk in as a daughter of the country, mm. as an you know as an American. So I do like that quote though because that was where I feel like my story, I, my my uh, memories of my story at least began. Right. Um, where is home? You know, my mom always said that a home is where you unpack your suitcase. <laughs> and I, I kind of like that because I think it gives that kind of, it, it recognizes the ambiguity of home, but it recognizes the unpacking piece that we have to unpack no matter where we are. We have to unpack to be healthy. So I kind of operate by that and I, I much prefer the, que the question, tell me your story or tell me a little bit about your journey. Because uh, where is home? I was just asked that the other week. I, last week, actually, at a conference, I was just asked that. And I just, yet again, it, you know, at way, way past, you know, my 20s or 30s into my 50s, I'm still, it's still paralyzing me a bit. So I think it gets easier, but I, I still think it's a hard question, but a, a question that I think we're supposed to wrestle with. That's fair enough. Is that, so are you in Pakistan right now? No, right now I'm actually in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We've discussed some of your, your trips back and forth uh, with, you know, in Pakistan. You were a missionary kid, is that correct? That's correct. And obviously, you know, Pakistan is an Islamic state and you're a uh, you're Christian. How... Did that play into some of the difficulties you had growing up there, or was that a challenge for you, um, you know, already fitting in there as an American and having to deal with it, also a religion issue? Well, that's an excellent question. I think it did contribute to the between-worlds uh, sense, you know, that uh, uh, my, my world was always either at peace or at conflict, you know. Right. So I was, I was female growing up in a, a society where there was a strong emphasis on, on men in public. Uh, women were more at home and in, you know, in the courtyards. I learned a lot about interacting with women in a wonderful way within the privacy of homes and courtyards. And certainly there were a lot of strong women. But in the public sphere, you know, it was, I was female. I was Christian in a Muslim country. Mm -hmm. uh, I was American, you know, among among Pakistanis. So I think that two things happened. One thing I I learned very early on that you know there can be a real complexity to religion. Um, my best friends were Muslim. My best friends began wearing the burqa as they hit puberty, and of course I did not. And and I think we're it was difficult. And, and, and of course, my first memory was the call to prayer. So I remember a couple of years ago when Obama was criticized for saying that the call to prayer was a beautiful sound. And I remember thinking that the people who criticized him had probably never 
never heard the call to prayer because mm -hmm. there's there's a truth that when you're you know to me there was a haunting beauty to it uh I, and but always a sense that there there was i was in this world between right. so where where i think it really conflicted was coming back to the United States and recognizing that the Christianity that I saw in the United States was not a multicultural, multidimensional Christianity, and that was the hard piece. So the hard piece was not living as a Christian in a Muslim country for me. Okay. The hard piece for me was coming back with this broad depth of experience and trying to fit in with a Christianity that did not resonate within the United States. Yeah, you know, it's very, it's very interesting you say that, you know, because um, we talked earlier and, and I, you know, I said I'm Nigerian and in Nigeria, it's 50% Muslim, 40% Christianity. I'm part of the Christianity uh, part, but I, you know, a lot of my friends are Muslims. I think um, my dad's, no, I don't think I know, my dad's grandma uh, is actually a Muslim and some of the interactions are different based on where you're from. Yes. And I'm sure you've heard of, you know, the Boko Haram and, and then the unfortunate situation with the girls who have been uh, kidnapped back, back home. Oh, and, uh, yeah. yeah. And it bothers me because I'm not there and I don't know what to do. But it's, 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 you know, it's further north. You have different views from the south, some of the southern Muslims. And I imagine, I don't know what, what, what it's like in Pakistan, but, you know, the perception here in the Western world is you see all the, you know, the bombings and everything. But, I, you know, I, I can't, I don't know what the experience actually is like for you to live there as an American. Because... If you ask an American here what the perception of Pakistani Muslims are, I, mean, I imagine it's a lot different than what you would say. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So, and, and I think that I would say that I experienced the greatest hospitality I've ever experienced there, as well as some of the toughest situations. Exactly. So that increases the, the complexity of it. I think that uh, the words that I, I think about all the time is that we have to be capable of complexity. Be, because the, it's not a cut and dry situation. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's not as black as black and white. Yeah, as that's right. I want to know when you first had your first sense of loneliness and and uh, you felt like you were outside of your element, basically an identity crisis. Yeah, you know that's such an excellent question. I would say that it didn't happen for me until I realized we were until well after I was established as a married, married person with children, and we moved from Egypt to the United States. That's when my identity crisis came full force. So whereas some of my third culture kid friends, they dealt with that in their 20s, late 20s, I didn't deal with an identity crisis like that until I suddenly realized we're not going back overseas. As long as I was going back and forth, back and forth, right. I was okay. But the, but once we went through our first year of living in the United States and I realized we're not going back, it was this identity crisis of that I couldn't I couldn't even wrap my head around because I had these five children to worry about. I, you know, we were in this small town in New England that I was like, on the one hand, it was picturesque. It was 10 minutes from the ocean. We were in this Victorian house and I thought, I am living someone else's dream. I have no, this is not my life. I can't believe this is my life. So that's when the identity crisis hit me and came in, in an incredibly painful way.
How did you overcome it? Or are you still going through it? I like to think I'm not. I think there are days where I probably still am. But I think that for me, I honestly don't believe I began overcoming it until we moved from that town. There was something I had, uh, and this was both, I mean, if this was not just the falls of the town, I will say that it was a hard town to move into. There were people that, many of the people in the town had relatives who had come on the Mayflower, and they did not deal with change very well. So we, as a family, were the change in the town, and we had to bear uh, that burden, if you will. We then moved to Phoenix. After seven years, we moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and I remember getting off the plane in Phoenix, Arizona at 122 degrees and thinking, I don't have to try anymore. This identity crisis is over. It was bizarre. It was bizarre that... There was something about the heat, the new start. Uh, maybe it's the phoenix rising from the ashes. I don't know. But that was, a, that was a really excellent move for me. For the first time in my life, I didn't have to proceed every single con- conversation with, well, you know, I'm not from here. <laughs> that, uh, was, you know, that was kind of my identity. Well, you know, I'm not, from, not from here. I had to establish <laughs> I'm not one of you. Uh-huh. And instead, and I didn't do that anymore. And I didn't even realize it till about three years into our time in Phoenix. I realized I, I don't. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do that anymore. People don't realize I grew up in Pakistan. And there, a, little, a little thing died in me when I realized it. But then I thought, you know, this is not a bad thing. The people that I want to know do know. And it does come out when I get closer to people. But that, that was a good move for me. And then we moved back to Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I was pretty uh, uh, frightened when we moved back. But yeah, I can I can actually point to a physical time when that ended. Okay, all right. So initially, when you moved to Massachusetts, you said it, you know it seemed like a little you were the outsider, and made it very clear you're not one of us. And now you went away to Phoenix. I know Pakistan probably has similar weather, but then you came back to Massachusetts. Did you were you better prepared for the change? You know, I was petrified. Uh, we moved 
you know, Phoenix obviously has these incredible winters. <laughs> and the summers, you're absolutely right. The reason, one of the reasons I had this visceral response to the heat, and it was because it was like both Egypt and Pakistan. So I viscerally responded, and that affected my entire body, uh, you know, and personality. So I was petrified. We moved in the middle, you know, in the middle of winter. It was one of the worst winters they'd had in a long time. Mm. And I was really astonished that as spring rolled around, I realized that I was doing much better than I thought I would be. And it was probably a year later that I really, in fact, I wrote a blog post about it called Restoration in Return because I suddenly realized that the area had been restored for me, that something that I couldn't, that wasn't even tangible had happened and I was, I was okay. I still wouldn't, you know, there's still not necessarily a visceral response that I have to this area. I, I am, I'm, I like myself better overseas. I'm more comfortable in international settings, but I feel like I've, come to a place of being able to make life here work in a way that I didn't have before. Would you say that that came with you finally just becoming uh, comfortable with yourself and understanding that, you know, you are where you are and you have to adapt? Yeah, yeah. I think it came with, you know, you know, those, those best of things as a third culture kid, that ability to adapt, that mm -hmm. ability to be flexible, the ability to to connect with people. I had forgotten all of those were skill sets. I had forgotten to laugh at myself when I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So I began to better be able to, but I'll tell you what really did help. Writing. I have never considered myself a writer. I never, I never aspired to write, but I I remember thinking, I want to have a voice. And it was partly because I just saw, I just see just this massive division between East and West and so few bridges to connect. And I remember thinking after reading, I can't even remember the piece I read, but I re read an article and I thought, we are so far from understanding this part of the world that I grew up in. Huh. I want to have a voice. And so I just began in January of 2011, and writing has helped me tenfold. I just being able to put into words some of what I feel, some of what I think, some of what I believe the third culture kid experience is, and then connecting with other TCKs who say, yes, I know what you mean, or, you know, uh, writing something and then having them spin off it and write something that completely resonates with me, that has been huge in recognizing that what we have as third culture kids is a, is a gift. It's a gift that, that if we... If, we're, if I'm so worried about uh, preserving my identity, I can't use that gift in, in the way I, I believe that is, it's intended to be used. Oh, my goodness. You know, that is so amazing that you said that because I was just talking to a lady by the name of Anora uh, Magaha, and she was a diplomatic kid, but she grew up everywhere. She couldn't even remember the amount of countries. But she, she said reading and writing were so helpful to her. She got some sense of calm and a peace, a sense of peace, and it, it's, it's been tremendous for her. And uh, 
and you're saying the same thing so um i you know i'm, I'm i think it's maybe it's because it's an outlet for you to express feelings and then you get a a reaction that someone else connects with it and it inspires you even more and it just makes you want to continue to do that type of thing and you have some sense of release yes and you know i see it in the comments like some of the comments on posts are like blogs in themselves they're so right on they're they're full of wisdom mm. some of them i've actually even used as guest posts and that that's a connecting point as well but yeah it's that has been huge yeah you you're giving them a voice to express themselves so they're not alone and uh you obviously uh, yeah, I mean, it's been good with that. Okay, so in this on this positive vein here, what what is what are the pieces of advice you would give? Um, I don't know a TCK that's really young or even old, anyone right now, but they just found that they're moving or they've moved a few times and their friends are away, they left and they just feel alone, or you know they just don't know what, where they're going in life because they feel like they're constantly moving. Yeah, wow. I, I mean, I'm a slow learner, obviously. It took me seven years of, of you know, before I arrived in Phoenix and, and decided, okay, this is okay now. I would say uh, be okay with process, you know, that this whole identity piece is a process that so often we're accused of being chameleons, but, you know, being a chameleon can be a huge gift. It, it's, it's finding... Finding the people that can connect, but being willing to see that some of the people you connect with may not be, may be very unlikely. Uh, they may be the people who've lived in the same place for a long time, but they have an ability to see beyond that and to connect with you on a soul level. So I would say be okay with process. Uh, read, 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 read things that can can articulate what you're feeling. So like I think of Eula Bliss. She is an author that won a Grey Wolf Writing Prize and she's uh, written a book that of essays. I can't even remember what it's called anymore, but just excellent essays on belonging. She's not a third culture kid, but what she writes resonates to the person living between worlds. Mm. Americana is another one. So, so find those books as well that can express so that you can find an outlet. But also with that, find your outlet. If it's not writing, if it's art, if it's, if it's acting, if it's in finding a job that allows you to travel, find an outlet like that. Find those places and spaces. Don't be afraid to go to that ethnic, re ethnic restaurant and just relax and say, okay, for, for an hour, I can be at home for an hour. I have the smells of home. I, I can, I can be fully present in this. That's, I mean, it sounds like really lame advice because some of it, you just no, have to no, go through, yeah. but, uh, that's what I'd say. No, I think those are all perfect devices, uh, pieces of advice rather. So, okay. I'm going to do a few rapid questions here before I wrap it up with that way, where you are and what you're up to. So, um, Favorite food, country with the best food? Oh, Pakistan, and without doubt, yeah. yeah. Pakistani Indian food, northern India, absolutely. A, curry, a good curry and chapatis, ah, there's nothing like it. Uh, people, country with the best style that you've been to, fashion? Wow, that's a hard one. I would say that's a hard one. 
Yeah, I got to pass on that one because, you know, <laughs> styles are so different. I mean, like, like, you know, in Pakistan, you've got shalwar kameez, which are just gorgeous, but they're not going to resonate with with American styles. Uh, okay. uh, so I, but I would say I will say London. London. I liked the way I just I liked the way. People in, you know, I mean, of course, it's a multicultural city. Oh, but yeah, I'm yeah. gonna say London. My British cousins will love you for that. Most, oh, of, my, most of my cousins are British, and they're always saying, "We get the styles before you guys." So, oh, they totally do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is for your cousins. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I said best food, best music. What about uh, ambiance? Was friendliest? Which country had the friendliest people? Oh, Egypt. Bar none. Egypt. Unbelievable. Really? Huh. People are oh love it love it love it i want to go to egypt how, how have you ever been to the pyramids i've always wanted oh yeah so many times picnics by the pyramids yep. yeah no, so I'm, many I'm times just, i'm so envious right now i don't even know yeah <laughs> yeah All in right. fact i remember waking up one day i will say that every every almost every single day that i lived in cairo i would wake up and think I live in the best city in the world oh, it was so cool wow how are your kids do they do they, where do they identify themselves as you know, that's such a good question. So I was talking, my son uh, in Chicago, I have a son in Chicago, and he, so I have five kids. The oldest is 28, and she actually went through the whole Egyptian uh, uprising. She lived uh, two blocks from Tahrir Square, and so she has her own experiences with that. But I was talking to my son. He called on his birthday. He just turned 27 on May 25th. And he, he was talking about how he gives the spiel of where he grew up, you know, because he was born. So he says to people, well, I was born in Pakistan, and then we moved to the States, and then we moved to Egypt. And, and then, and I suddenly realized, you know, and this is so, this puts me in such a bad light, but I, I really need to be honest about this. I, I was so focused on myself being this adult third culture kid that didn't fit, that I completely forgot to recognize that I had, I was raising third culture kids, and that that really it, that was a really hard realization. Uh, when I realized that, I just thought, "Wow, I I you know I wish I had realized it because I think it would have motivated me to get a better handle on my own identity." So my kids. There, some of them feel much more comfortable overseas. My oldest feels much more comfortable overseas. That's where she would be. Interesting that my fourth also, uh, so it's a girl, two boys, then a girl, and then a boy. And my, my fourth uh, is a girl, and she just got back from Israel-Palestine, and she feels very comfortable overseas. They were born, you know, in Pakistan, in Egypt, the United States, kind of all over. I, my claim to fame is I... I gave birth to five babies on three continents. <laughs> and so, so, so they, they vary in what they consider. I would say the one that is le least connected to overseas is the third one. But even him, in his, um, like when he got married, he talked about being raised in Egypt. So all of them, they have an identity of connecting with overseas. You know, we... On the outside, our world was small town America. On the inside, we, I cooked Egyptian food, Pakistani food. We decorated with things from Egypt and Pakistan. We had, uh, you know, this picture of Yasser Arafat and, and Rabin on our, in a heart-shaped frame on our mantle. Like crazy things that, 
that no one else in the town would possibly have. So that's such a good question. Though. All right. All right. This is the last one here before I uh, get to the last question. Best music. Oh, best music. Ooh. So I love, I, I mean, I love Bollywood type of stuff. But also the crooning of Um Kathum in Cairo, that gets into your blood too. It's kind of this minor key, you know, it's hot, you're in a taxi and Um Kathum comes on the radio. It's, it's pretty amazing. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I go back and forth. So Marilyn Gardner, what is she up to? What are her projects? What does she do? Okay, so this is exciting because I had been encouraged after, you know, blogging for a while to try and compile some of my posts into a book. So I'm very excited because the book, Between Worlds, Essays on Culture and Belonging, will be coming out in July. I'm, uh, it's, it's about around 230 pages. It's just, essay, it's fairly short essays, so it's easily read Hopefully, it'll be easily read where people can pick it up, put it down, underline it, that sort of thing. Uh, it's in seven different sections. So home, identity, belonging, airports, grief and loss, goodbyes, culture clash. You know, it's, it's, so it's, it's not chapters, but more sections with a group of essays. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, and, that and so that's, that's a, a dream that I, I didn't even know I had a dream to do this huh. until... You know, it's it's now. In fact, the manuscript arrived the other day, so I'm going through the final manuscript. So that's exciting. And then I'll keep on blogging and connecting to people like you. Uh, I would love to do something on more on my childhood in Pakistan again, because you know, not that many Americans grew up in Pakistan, and there's a couple books out, but they're all by males. So I would love to have something by a female and. Otherwise, it's just uh, conti continuing to connect with third culture kids and hopefully uh, continue to develop a, a writing voice. All right. And they can find you on Twitter and they can find you on, on your website, which, which are? Yeah. So communicating across boundaries, blog.com. That's, uh, that's where they can find me in, at Marilyn Guard. You know, this is good because this podcast is going to come out after your book. So I'm going to put the link to your book. Yay! On, uh, <laughs> on the on uh, in my on my website, and then I'm also gonna, you know, encourage you guys to go out to your website as well. So that, awesome, yeah. and it'll be available at Amazon. So that'll Amazon. oh yes. perfect, yeah. There we go. Well, thank you very much. I'm very uh, honored that you took this time to talk to me. I think you definitely enlightened me and a lot of everyone out there. Hopefully, so I think. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to As Told by Nomads. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher and subscribe. Also, be sure to head over to my website, tyroxin.com, to subscribe for more updates and tips on how to navigate the world and check out some of the other things I'm doing. Till next time, remember, home is not necessarily a physical place. It is wherever you most feel comfortable. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 